any objection to a secure border policy is it's unchristian. You're not welcoming the strangers. Yeah, first I'd use Candace Owens line, life's tough, buy a helmet. A thousand encounters a day at our southern border is a bad day. Once you start reaching 3,000 or so a day, that's catastrophic. Last week, we had a single day where the encounters on our southwest border exceeded 12,000. There's no country on the face of the planet, including the United States, that can sustain this level of illegality at our borders. And is that why people are hesitant to even send more money to the southern border? Because it's essentially just a sending money to a more facilitation process? You got it. I mean, that that's the mic drop <laughs> moment. We really can end the podcast right now. This administration in the past 36 months has sent a message to the entire world. Now is the time to come. We have bolstered, facilitated, and enriched the cartels for them to increase their operations that have allowed and led to more migrants dying than in any other administration, more migrants suffering, being assaulted or raped than any other administration, and more migrants being thrust in the life of trafficking than any other administration because we've enticed them to jeopardize everything to come to our borders. So I end with, so tell me, what is Christian about that? <sighs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast. Today, I am joined by, I'd say, the source uh, of expertise here on the border. I'm joined by Mark Morgan. He's with Heritage as a fellow now, but he spent over 30 years in law enforcement, specifically around our southern border. Mark, we have plenty of questions for you today. I hope you're ready. I'm ready. Good to go. <laughs> awesome. So uh, first one up, what really struck me about your resume is you worked both under the Obama administration and then also under the Trump administration. Obviously, it didn't make it to this administration. Uh, one thing that I think I'd like to start with to maybe frame the conversation, in terms of scope, what's the difference that we've seen since you've been with the border and now with the Biden administration? What's the difference really, been? Yeah, so two things, but don't mind. It, it, I'd really like to, to touch a little bit on how you open up about that I've served under multiple administrations, because I think that's key. Because I think a lot of times, obviously, right now, the past three years, I've been very critical about the Biden administration's open border policies. And a lot of people will then just dismiss that as, oh, hey, I'm just this this conservative. Hey, I'm just a Trump sycophant. And the reality is, like you said, I, actually, I, I've got around almost 40 years of, of service to this country. And I've served under multiple administrations, both Republican and Democrat. I was a chief of the United States Border Patrol under the Obama administration before I became Commissioner of Customs and Border Protection under President Trump. So when I'm out here speaking, this isn't a red or blue issue for me. It's a red, white, and blue issue for me. And I think that's very important. This is not about politics. Unfortunately, securing our border has become political and has become driven by ideology, uh, policies, and emotions rather than fact. And so I think that's important to start off with. To answer the second part of your question is, the, the reality, uh, you, there, you can have your opinions on, on how you feel about President Trump, but the reality from my seat as commissioner of CBP, he gave us a network of tools, authorities, and policies that actually allowed us to secure the border. I believe that President Trump, he understood that border security was synonymous with national security. And one of the major factors in inhibiting our ability to effectively secure our border was illegal immigration. And that's a very important part because the reality of what happens is 
Those that are coming across our border illegally, it pulls limited resources off the front line, away from their law enforcement and national security mission. It literally hands operational control over the cartels so that drugs, criminals, and potential national security threats uh, uh, could come into the country. And so what we did was it wasn't just about resources. And, and we were providing resources, but he also understood that probably the most important thing was to have policies, policies that acted as a deterrent for those thinking about illegally entering and those that did to apply effective consequences. What I saw uh, the, the sig most significant change of this administration was a fundamental reverse in policies. And right now, this was frustrating because a lot of the Democrats will talk about uh, um, resources. Oh, we need more resources. No, that's one of the big lies. The, when, the, when Biden took over, he had the same amount of resources we did under President Trump. The resources didn't change. What changed was the policies. And I'll give you just a couple of examples. The safe third country agreements we had with all three Northern Triangle countries, this administration ended them. The Remain in Mexico program, which is probably one of the most effective uh, policies that we enacted that, that closed the loopholes and ended catch and release, this administration ended. Tata 42, this administration ended. This administration re restricted ICE from doing their job to track down the, uh, criminal illegal aliens and remove them. Uh, at a time the past three years where we've had the highest degree of illegal encounters at our borders, we've had the lowest number of removals by ICE. And so at the end of the day, that's where the significant change is, not in resources, but in a shift in policy. Right. And, and I think helpful for the conversation as well, numbers, right? You said these encounters have gone way up and then removals have gone way down. What, what are we talking about numbers wise? Can you give some scale for us? Yeah, that's important. And I think that unfortunately, I think we've become numb to the numbers and that's very dangerous because uh, uh, let me put it in perspective for you. So Secretary Jay Johnson, who was the secretary of DHS under the Obama administration, I, I was chief of the border patrol at the time. I worked for him. He said, these are his words, again, secretary of DHS under the Obama administration said a thousand encounters a day at our Southern border is a bad day. And he went further to say, once you start reaching 3,000 or so a day, that's catastrophic. Uh, that means our system is broke. It's overwhelmed. We're, we're literally overrun. Those were his words under a Democratic-led presidency. To put it in perspective, last week, we had a single day where the encounters on our southwest border exceeded 12,000. Jay Johnson said a disaster was 1,000 a day. We, were, we hit 12,000. The 21-day average or south, southwest border right now is 9,000. In the past 36 months, we've seen over 8 million total nationwide encounters. There's not a record that this administration has it shattered. We've also, in the same 36 months, experienced well over 2 million uh, uh, gotaways. Those are individuals who illegally enter our border, and because our resources are overwhelmed, sneak past them and get away and now call the United States home. That's where we're out right now in this administration. It's complete chaos and lawlessness. There is no country on the face of the planet, including the United States, that can sustain this level of illegality at our borders. Yeah, and then question for you, how, how did we get to such a high number? Obviously, I'd imagine people have always wanted to get into America, right? So what about this administration has gotten that number up to 12,000 a day? That's like, like you said, that's mind-blowing. 
number yeah, right it's, there. It's really easy. They, like I said, they just they they took the most secure border in a lifetime, and with malice of forethought and intentionality, they unsecured it. They dismantled every effective a tool, authority, and policy that we had in place that sent a strong and clear message to the entire world. If you come to our borders and try to illegally enter, one, you're not going to be successful, and two, there's going to be consequences for that illegal behavior. If you want to come to the greatest nation and face of the planet, there are lawful and legal pathways to do that. That's the message we sent. This administration just dismantled and just threw that message away. Instead, they've sent a message to the entire world that's acting as a beacon for them to come, that if you make it to our borders, once again, our borders are wide open, we'll process and release you into the interior of the United States, and you'll never be heard from again. And while you're here, we're going to reward you and treat you as though you're lawful citizens. Well, guess what? Migrants from all over the world heard the message loud and clear. It's that simple. The past 36 months, we've encountered uh, illegal aliens from over 180 different countries. Let that sink in. 180 different countries. There's only 195 recognized countries in the world, but we've encountered <laughs> uh, aliens, right, from 180. And look, here's what's very important. And so your questions are going to, well, how did it happen? Well, one, we, we incentivize it and we, we set out a, a, a message to come. But then a lot of people don't realize the Mexican cartels are one of the most sophisticated, powerful, influential criminal organizations on the face of the planet. Their ability to reach out to these different uh, countries and facilitate them coming to an area where they then can take them and push them through the journey of Mexico to our borders is unparalleled. They're experts at it. I used to say that they, they could teach a, a business class at Yale at Harvard on business resiliency, flexibility, and adaptability. They are that good. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. So um, right now, what you'll, you'll find chi Chinese nationals. In the past 36 months, we've encountered over 24,000 Chinese nationals, and the overwhelming, about 95, 96% of them are single adult males of military age. 24,000. That's more in the past 36 months than we encountered in the last 15, 18 years. And it's quite easy. They just go from China or wherever they're at at the time. They fly into Ecuador, who has no really visa requirements. And once they're in Ecuador, then they work with the smuggling organizations and cartels to make their way through uh, the Western Hemisphere, through Mexico, to the United States border, where they are immediately released into our country. Yeah, and you have a ton of law enforcement experience. I feel like what often gets brought up is military-age males. Why, does that, why do people feel like that's necessary to keep bringing up an immigration conversation, and what impact does it have for America? Well, it's important because one of the false narratives that's out there is that all, everybody coming to our border are, are just families or unaccompanied minors or poor, vulnerable migrants just looking for a better life. Uh, that's just a lot. And the reason why it's so important to focus on the vast majority are single adult males of military age, because here's the dirty little truth that this administration continues to lie to the American people. Even those that we apprehend, we cannot properly vet. That's a big lie. This administration continually says, everybody comes to the border, we vet them before we release them. That's a lie. It's impossible. Let me give you just one example. So we encounter a single adult male of military age from Lebanon. Think about that. We know that Lebanon sponsors, harbors, and facilitates one of the most destructive, violent terrorist organizations on the face of the planet, Hezbollah. But yet we've encountered close to 200 
Lebanese males of military age from Lebanon that have illegally entered our Southwest border. And we encounter them. And you think that we're, so we're, so one of the questions we're going to ask, Hey, so you're from Lebanon. Just want to make sure before we release you, are you a member of, of Hezbollah? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Hold on a second. We're going to reach out from our good friends, Lebanon, that we have strong diplomatic relationships <laughs> with and ask them, Hey, we have so-and-so. We just want to confirm that, that this individual is not a part of Hezbollah. Oh no, you're good. Go ahead and release in the United States. I mean, right. It's an absurdity. We have zero diplomatic relationship with Lebanon. Uh, again, Hezbollah is alive and well, and we have no ability to vet this individual, whether in fact they are a member of Hezbollah, but yet this administration is processing and releasing them in the entire United States. That's why we should be concerned of, of who is coming in and if they're of military age, that we have no, uh, no idea what their intentions are or what their allegiance is. Yeah, and I think the general public... Uh, public, including me, is kind of unaware. What is the exact process? Say someone shows up military age at the border right now, they enter into the country. What's their processing like? Yeah. So they come across the border and they, a, a couple of things will happen. Once uh, first, there's going to be some process, uh, uh, some vetting that's going to be done. Typically what that means is they're going to check domestic intelligence databases and domestic law enforcement databases like NCIC. That, that's the database for, for criminal wants and warrants in the United States. If that comes back derogatory, then our hands start becoming very limited on what we can actually receive from other countries. Again, of the 180 countries, we don't have diplomatic relationships with many of those countries. And many of those countries we know sponsor, facilitate, and harbor terrorism. And just in that Cuba, for example, we know again and again a factual information that Cuba has intentionally pushed criminals from Cuba uh, to our southern border. And so when we encounter these individuals, our ability to effectively vet them is, is, is almost impossible for a, a large chunk of those individuals. Countries that we even have diplomatic relationships with, a lot of times their technology and their databases are not as sophisticated as ours. And so we're still received kind of a, a neutered background with respect to this individual. But then, so, so we start processing, we do what we can to vet them. Again, most of the time we can't effectively vet them and we'll start collecting their biographical data. But here's what's important. The overwhelming majority, they leave their IDs, their passports and, and, and any form of document on the Mexican side because cartels tell them do that because that will make it harder for U.S. law enforcement officers and agents to identify who you are. They intentionally illegally enter the country. They intentionally leave their ID to thwart U.S. law enforcement from being able to effectively identify them. And there's an old saying in the Border Patrol, after they fingerprint the individual, they say, hey, we're going to ask you your name. But before you give me your name, make sure you like it because it's going to be associated with these fingerprints forever, right? So in essence, they're saying that, that they're being lied to all the time about, about who they're saying they are, and they have really no idea to verify that. Once that happens, then, then they'll claim asylum, and then Border Patrol finishes the processing, and then under this administration, they release them. Can I stop you there? Claim, claim asylum. What yep. does that mean? Yep. So there's, a, there's a basically a two-step process. The first step of that is called credible fear. And that's what we have for a very long time. We've been trying to get Congress to pass a law to fix because the, the legal standard, the legal threshold of credible fear is almost non-existent. 
meaning that an alien has to show or say that they fear, right, going back to their home country because they're the victim uh, of of uh, a space, state-sponsored persecution because of their involvement in a protected class. It, it's it's to say that it's easy to cross that threshold would be an understatement. You just have to say those words that I just said. Hey, I'm afraid of going home. You basically have to say that and you cross that threshold. Once you cross that threshold, then you're entered and enrolled into the asylum process. And why that's so important is because once you're entered into that asylum process, you're going to be then released into the interior of the United States under this administration. And the Border Patrol, there's nine sectors along the southwest border. Literally, you can come in, illegally enter, uh, uh, give them some basic biographical information. More than likely, the Border Patrol won't be able to vet that. You claim credible fear, say, I'm afraid to go home. So then you're entered in the asylum process. And with about 24, 48 hours, Border Patrol literally just opens the back door and lets you in uh, to the United States. Right. As an asylum. And you're not able to work, correct? Legally? Yeah, that's correct. For six months, uh, you're not able to work in the country uh, legally. You have to go and, and show up for your initial uh, hearing process and then uh, make an application uh, to be able to work in the country lawfully. And it's it's a no-brainer. It's a rubber stamp. You get it. And then you can reinstate it every six months in perpetuity. It's a joke. It's another gaping loophole in our system. Um, are, are there people it, that just don't show up as well after six months? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, the, uh, there, there's a large, uh, we call that uh, uh, an abstentia, meaning that they just don't show up. And you think about it. Why? Why show up? Because we have individuals that go through uh, the entire, entire uh, asylum process and a court order from a judge says that their claim is fraudulent and they're ordered removed. And guess what this administration does? Nothing. The Secretary of Homeland Security, Secretary Mayorkas, which I refer to as one of the most deadly um, uh, men in, in this administration. He has said on record, under oath, uh, in, uh, on Sunday talk shows again and again and again, that being in the country illegally by itself is not enough to remove you. That, that's not the law. The law says the I mean, what do we do? Wait, so, and, and you were in charge of ICE under Trump. And ICE, okay, so, you know, I, I landscaped at one point. I, I, I'm sure that are... Not in my company, but other companies are people that were here illegally working, getting paid under the table. And that was a big fear was if ICE catches you, they're going to deport you. So Correct. are you t you're telling me at this point in time, I mean, that was a long time ago. This point in time, that's just not a threat to people here. Correct. Illegally. Correct. There's no threat. Absolutely. What is what is ICE's purpose at this point? I thought that was their purpose basically was to deport people. Am I off right. that? The, the, that's right. The ERO, Enforcement and Removal Operations Arm of ICE, that is their job. What this administration, specifically Secretary Mayorkas, has, has narrowly uh, 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 focused ICE on is that you either have to be a known or suspected terrorist or a convicted felon that's in the country illegally for you to be a focus of ICE. That's it. That's it. So you could have come here illegally um, uh, in violation of the law, uh, uh, thwarting our sovereignty, uh, come here. You could have gone through the entire immigration process. A, a, a court could have found that your claim is invalid and a judge orders you removed. And this administration says, nope, not going to do it. And every illegal alien in this country knows that right now. And so what that has done is, it. What, why do we have an immigration process, right? 
what, why do we have all this process and we provide more due process than any other nation would to someone that, that uh, illegally entered our border? If at the end of the process, it doesn't matter. This secretary right. is not going to enforce it. This secretary is not going to enforce the law. And he has communicated to every single illegal alien in this country, as long as you don't commit a violent felony or you don't participate in terrorist activities, I'm going to let you stay illegally in the country. I'm not going to do my job. That's where we're at under this administration. And is that why people are hesitant to even send more money to the southern border? Because it's essentially just a sending money to a more facilitation process like that money wouldn't be used effectively to enforce a border. Correct. That's it. Look, that's you got it. I mean, that that's the mic drop <laughs> moment. We really can end the podcast right now. Seriously. I, I mean, I'm being honest. You, you, what you just said represents what I say. I've been saying for a long time. You don't have to be a border security expert to understand, right? Is that we don't need. And right now, this administration, they're talking about, well, you know, I, I in my my quote, border security plan, I've earmarked $14 billion for the southern border. Well, first of all, it's just a lot. Uh, that money is going to be utilized just as you said. It's not going to be utilized to enforce the border. It's not going to be utilized to reverse course in the open border policies. The money is simply going to be used to fund a more effective and efficient catch and release policy. And, and in turn, that will just beget more incentivization for illegal aliens to come. The, the, the money that this administration is earmarked to go to our border is not meaningful border security legislation. There's nothing in their current policy that that uh, um, mandates a reverse course in their open border policies. That's why right now, uh, the Republicans are, are some, some, not all, are pushing hard to make sure that as part of the aid package that we want to give to Ukraine to secure their border and protect right. their sovereignty, and the money to Israel to secure their border and protect their sovereignty, that that is not put in front of America securing our own border and protecting our own sovereignty. And so right now, there's a, a piece of legislation out there called H.R. 2. It's the strongest piece of meaningful border security legislation that's ever been passed in a single chamber of the United States Congress. And all but one Republican senator voted for it. And now when we're having these talks, these budget talks right now, that's the answer. H.R. 2. So, so Biden administration, if you want funding for these other countries to help secure their borders, then you're going to help us secure our own borders. You're actually going to put America first and you're going to enact the policy changes in H.R. 2. And right now we have uh, uh, Senate Republicans that are, are negotiating with themselves to actually water down H.R. 2. And I don't understand it. It just doesn't make sense. And so this is why I've been saying for a while now that the Democrats have caused the chaos and lawlessness at our borders. And right now, the Republicans are not standing up to fix it. And they could. Yeah. And it, it, this almost sounds like it's grounds for treason, right? I mean, this, this is treasonous behavior from this administration. I mean, I, we could go over paying taxpayer, taxpayer money to go send people around the country, sanctuary cities, all that. It almost sounds like right now, this is just, I don't even know how, how much this is going to help. But if you just sat down and played quarterback with me here, next administration comes in and they were serious about border security, actually enforcing a border like the Obama administration, like the Trump administration. What first day in office, what are their first steps to make that happen? 
Yeah, first of all, I say that the Obama administration did a little bit of a slide of hand. And while they continued uh, some of the resources going to our border that began under the uh, Bush administration, they enacted a couple of significant policies that really began the, the next wave of devastation on our border. And one was DACA. Um, and so that incentivized more unaccompanied minors to come to our border. And then, of course, it was under the Obama administration that we saw the disastrous influx of, uh, influx of families coming across our border. Under the Obama administration, the, the, the flow coming to our borders fundamentally changed. For 80 plus years, it was mainly single adult males, mostly coming from Mexico. Uh, that all shifted under the Biden administration. We started seeing a higher degree of migrants coming from a multitude of countries, even beyond the Western Hemisphere. And as I said, then we saw this, this unprecedented level of unaccompanied minors and families, which devastated our system and overwhelmed our resources because they were designed around single adult Mexican males for, like I said, 70, 80 years. So just, I think it's important that people keep that in mind. But, but um, what, what I would do on day one is first, I would reinstitute what President Trump did and declare a national emergency at our border. Once he does that, that opens up additional funding uh, avenues to be able to get the resources uh, that we need down. And again, that's a, that's a strong policy uh, a decision to declare a national emergency. And again, I go back to secure our border. It's a combination of resources and policy. The second thing I would do is I would demand that the Department of Defense step up and actually fulfill what I think is part of its role to help us secure our border. So I would enhance uh, the military's stance and resources to assist, uh, uh, especially along our southwest border. The second thing I would do is I would immediately reinstate a series of policies. One would be the safe third country agreements with all three northern triangle countries. The second one would be the Remain in Mexico program. The third would be to actually end catch and release. The fourth is I would actually uh, enforce the law and I would start detaining individuals that we do not keep out of the country while they go through the process waiting in Mexico, and I would detain them in the United States. All of that together would in-catch or release. If you in-catch or release, you're de-incentivizing one of the, the, the most powerful rewards and, and reasons why they're coming is that once they enter illegally, this administration is releasing them. We have to switch. The other thing that I would do is I would remove the restrictions from ICE. And I would develop a whole of government approach to really go after every single individual that's here illegally. We're never going to have an effective uh, um, reduction in the flow of illegal immigration if we don't hit it from both sides. One, uh, applying severe deterrence and consequences at the physical border itself. But we also have this send a strong message. If you have to be if you happen to be successful and get through and make it to the interior United States, we're going to find you and remove you. It's got to be a duality of that. And the last thing that I would do is I would enact a, a multi-layer strategy of resources in addition to all those policies. I would continue to build the wall and push technology and personnel in strategic locations along the southwest border. You enact that whole government approach. You put a, a new wave of border security policies and resources in place. We can secure the border. We were doing that under the Trump administration. We had the most secure border in our lifetime. And every single day, it was getting more secure. And the last thing that I would say is it's time to um, step up and force Mexico to once again step up and join this as the regional crisis. Under the Trump administration, at one point, at the height, 
They had over 20,000 personnel that were actually dedicated to securing their southern border with Guatemala, as well as in, uh, increasing interior enforcement to stem the flow of illegal immigration. Under this administration, they jettisoned all that leverage. Mexico has once again returned to nothing more than a throughput uh, for the cartels to facilitate illegal aliens. And the last step, we will never have a secure border unless we fundamentally change how we go after the cartels. For the past 30 years, we've gone after the cartels with the traditional criminal prosecutorial approach. But for the past 30 years, it's failed. The only thing that's happened is the cartels have gotten stronger, more rich, and more powerful, and more influential. And so I subscribe to the AG Barr approach, the Plan Colombia, where we use military resources in conjunction with Mexico, precision and surgical kinetic operations to go to the heart of the Mexican cartels and defeat them. Yeah. And this seems like a much better use of the FBI than going after Catholics in church, just to bring that yeah. up. But uh, I just want to tap into your experience here. You spent time with the FBI specifically focused on MS-13 gangs. And in the news, one thing that I found so interesting was what happened in El Salvador when uh, their president was elected and basically just took the military to crack down on MS-13. I know people hear the fentanyl crisis. They, they maybe know someone that's affected by it. Um, I want to start with you. When you started following MS-13, uh, what, what were your biggest concerns and observations that maybe the average person just hearing about them in the news maybe wouldn't know about MS-13 gang? Yeah, one, I would say they're the most violent, prolific transnational criminal organization on the face of the planet. And I got to tell you, the FBI was there, you know, right at the beginning. The FBI was behind the power curve. I think the, the American people, they simply do not realize the power, strength, and reach of criminal gangs like MS-13. And, you know, again, over the past couple of decades, it hasn't lessened. It just gotten worse. But I got to be honest with you, even when I was supervising MS-13, I failed to connect the dots. Um, I failed to connect the dots with, with our physical border. I just figured that there were other agencies that, that had the same support the FBI did, the same tools and resources uh, to, to address what was happening on our border. What people don't realize now, especially under this administration, is, is that MS-13 has a nonstop, endless supply of members, right? And so it doesn't matter how good we are at domestic law enforcement to prosecute MS-13 gang members. As soon as we prosecute two, six more arrive from the Southwest border. Uh, as soon as we put pressure, well, they just leave for a little while and go back to their home country in Guatemala, El Salvador, wherever that is. And then when the heat dies down, they just come back at will. Because our border is that wide open. I mean, every look, every single year, Border Patrol apprehends, I don't know, around 800 to, to 1,200 gang members. That's who they apprehend from 26, 27 different gangs, the majority MS-13. I'll go back to the over 2 million Godaways. How many gang members do you think are among the 2 million Godaways who, who know the terrain, who know the routes, who easily go back and forth at will? and avoid apprehension, especially under this administration. So the, the, the American people, when it comes to gangs and every other uh, part of the vast threats, illegal immigration is not a victimless crime. That's one of the big lies, is that when you have the volume of illegal immigration we have, resources are pulled off the line away from the national security mission and law enforcement mission, and it makes uh, illegal aliens easily able to, to cross our, our, our border 
And, and we have criminals, murderers, rapists, and pedophiles doing that every single day. Yeah. So MS-13 in the border in terms of drugs, how can you just detail the flow of drugs across the southern border and how that inter- intersects with gangs? Yep. The, the concept isn't complicated, but the execution is, which again goes to show the level of sophistication of the cartels. Here's how it simply goes. So we know where all the super meth labs are in Mexico. We know the cartels. We know where uh, the cartels operate. We know which regions, which cartel operates and owns on the southern border. We know the routes the cartels use to push humans and drugs across our border. And then I call it the the, the spider web map. Sorry, sorry. We know and we're not doing anything about it. We haven't we haven't worked in Mexico. We haven't we're not doing anything about it. Well, here's what I'll say is is every administration, what they've been doing about it is applying the traditional criminal prosecutorial method and approach, right? So we we work uh, here domestically, we have resources in Mexico, we share and gather intelligence, and then when we have enough evidence to prosecute um, a gang member that's maybe working with the cartels or a cartel member themselves, then we go through an extensive, lengthy, sophisticated criminal investigation that may take three or four years, and then we prosecute maybe four or five people. Right. What I mean, as soon as soon as those individuals are prosecuted, this is while Americans are dying from overdosing. Right. Correct. Correct. And so that's what I'm saying. The the traditional method that we've been using to go after the cartels has failed. We can't keep doing the same thing and and expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity. Catastrophically failed. Catastrophically. This is like not just a small failure. This is Americans dying. it, It is because over the past 30 years, look at the cartels. Have, have we dented the cartel's ability? No. Over the past 30 years, the cartels have just gotten more powerful, more influential across the, the globe. And so we have to change how we go after the cartels. And we have a lot of intelligence and we have a lot of information about the cartels, how they operate, where they operate. But we just need to change how we go after to defeat them. So we know where they're at. We, we know that they're manufacturing drugs, synthetic drugs, cocaine, heroin. Fentanyl laced with synthetic drugs. We know again. We know we know the cartels uh, operate in Mexico. We know where they operate. We know which cartel owns which geographical area along our shared southern border. We know where the drugs come across, and once they enter the United States, it's like a spider web, right? And it goes into every major metropolitan city and every single state in this country. Of course, they use the major highway systems, and then as you get into the states. That's where then uh, a criminal organizations like MS-13 and other organizations work with the cartels and act as the cartels drug distribution arm to make sure then the drugs go from uh, the, the cartels uh, to, to individual gang members that then individual dealers within a city, town or state in this country. How, how are the drugs getting across the border? A uh, multitude of ways, right? I mean, they go through the ports of entry. Uh, again, we, we could talk two hours on the different methods and techniques that they use. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple examples. So, uh, they're oftentimes in tractor trailer, literally they will load an entire 18 wheeler tractor trailer filled from top to bottom with drugs. Uh, sometimes they just put them in plain sight. Other times they bury them in other, uh, uh, products or merchandise, very sophisticated. Um, I've seen them and, you know, insert them in, uh, big uh, baskets of watermelons. They've inserted them in axles of vehicle parts. I mean, the list goes on and on. Again, they're very sophisticated 
at using techniques and tactics and procedures uh, to hide the drugs as they smuggle them in. Individuals using their own personally owned vehicle will hide drugs in their car. And oftentimes they use very sophisticated methods. They'll actually cut panels out of the car uh, and, and, and insert the drugs and then weld the panel back into the car. Again, wow. they use very sophisticated techniques, but that's just at the ports of entry. But they also, in between the ports of entry, and here's where, again, is an example where illegal immigration is not a victimless crime, is often the cartels will use the illegal aliens intentionally as a distraction technique. So you've got in, uh, zones A, B, and C. So they'll send 150, 200 illegal aliens through zone B, and they simply wait and wait for Border Patrol to respond to zone B and start apprehending and providing humanitarian care for those 150, 200 illegal aliens. What happens to zone A and C? It's wide open, unpatrolled, because all the Border Patrol agents are in zone B taking care and processing illegal aliens. And that's when they push drugs through zones A and C every day, all day long. And literally, here's how that works. They'll push it through. They'll have a runner on the, on the U.S. side just waiting for the drugs to come across. They load up the truck in 60 seconds, boom, and they're off to a stash house that's already predetermined where they stash the drugs before they can move them on to the next destination within the United States. Wow. Um, I'd imagine it must be pretty demoralizing to be a Border Patrol agent these days. I remember, of course, seeing the news reports about uh, the, the it was a hoax, but whipping or, uh, agents were whipping migrants at the border. It just it's so odd after hearing all of this uh, that what was focused on was the actions of a few Border Patrol agents that it didn't actually turn out to be the thing when it's like you look over here and this is crazy. Uh, have you spoken to anyone at the border? What, what's morale like even within the administration? Is it just trying to survive essentially? Yeah, I, I you know, look, I'm on, I'm, I go down the border on a regular basis. I'm in contact with uh, both active agents and retired agents on a regular basis as well. And I can tell you the morale is the lowest it's ever been. I mean, you talk about the horse patrol incident. I mean, that was, that was unfathomable. And that's when, you know, I, I agree. May, maybe it wasn't the most Christian comment for me to make. I, I owe that. And, and I've, I've already asked for forgiveness. But, but this is what I called, you know, Secretary Myricus on national TV a scumbag. Um, because a couple of hours before he approached the, the White House press briefing room and used that bully pulpit, uh, he was told uh, that it was a lie, that the horse patrol didn't whip anybody, uh, that the, the reins were being used to control the horses, and the reins were actually being used to get the horses away from the migrants um, to actually operate in a safe environment. That's the irony here. But he still went out uh, at the White House press briefing room and lied and, and said it, it conjured up images of racism. He said that four times. But and why? He knew it was a lie. But why? These are his people. Why is he? Why? I don't know. What's the reasoning? He knew it was a lie. Why did he say it anyway? It, 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 exactly. That's, that, that's a big question. At the end of the day, you know, he's an intelligent guy. Um, at the end of the day, I, I mean, it's clear to me that he sees the world through an ideologic prism. So everything that he sees, and I think that's the problem right now with America, that the border has become so politically divisive that you can take intelligent people, even, even maybe well-intentioned people, but they see the entire Southwest border. They see the entire chaos and lawlessness through a political or ideological prism. It makes them ignorant to the truth, reality, and fact. The, the, the secretary went up and said that because he didn't want to believe the truth. Because he had already seen what he wanted to see, and it was already a part of what he believed. And it was so hard for him to get away from that. 
And that's what I see him every day. That's why he continues during congressional testimony on the Sunday talk show circuit. He says the border is closed. He says we have operational control of the border. It's a lie. You're saying he thinks he believes it. Yes. Yes, okay. I do. I do. And that's why I say in this administration, what I've seen a convergence of, I've never seen in this administration before is you, you've got, you've got your, 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 your political agenda and both sides have that. But in this administration, again, 40 years, six administrations, both Republican and Democrat, I've never seen a convergence of the, the, the political agenda and the ideological agenda converge. And together, that's what makes this administration so dangerous because both of those now, it's kind of like, you're too young to remember this, but it's kind of like the Power Rangers, right? Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I watch Power Rangers. <laughs> oh, oh, so then, you know, okay, good. Yeah, good yeah, I yeah. can still use that analogy. So, <laughs> so it's kind of like the Power Rangers in a very bad way, though, is that, uh, that, that our policies are being driven by politics and ideology. And it makes the outcome completely ignorant of the truth, reality, and fact. Uh, and, and ideologue does not care about the truth, reality, or downstream effects. They only care about the pursuit of their personal ideology. And that's what I think is driving our open border policies. Look, you can't deny this. The lawlessness and chaos of our border is, is there for the entire world to see. It's, it's not hyperbolic. Every aspect of our nation's safety and national security being jeopardized. And, and the Democratic Party and people like Americus are telling American people there's nothing to see here. But, but look, this is why the border patrol agents' morale is so bad. Think about this. Every single day, they swore an oath to uphold the Constitution to protect and defend our nations against a vast set of threats that are coming to our borders every single day. But every single day, they know that this administration has neutered their ability to do that. They have taken away essential policies and authorities for them to be able to protect our nation. They know every single day that because of that, drugs are coming across, criminals, murders, rapists, pedophiles, and national security threats are pouring across our border, jeopardizing our nation's safety and national security every single day. They're, they're demoralized. They know they are not allowed to do their job. Literally, their mission of a law enforcement and national security mission has been fundamentally transformed into that of a processing enterprise. Quote, the, the, the former chief of the border patrol in a congressional testimony, those were his words. They have shifted to becoming a processing enterprise. That's, and so now I'll give you one example to, to wrap up the thought to, to real illustrate it is there is this border patrol agent that 26 years, 26 years defending and protecting our borders. He was getting dressed like he does every morning, look in the mirror, make sure he's all squared away. And he said, you know, he's just his buttons and he looks up in the mirror and he said he had this rush come over him. They said he realized this, this organization that, that he was honored to be a part of for 26 years, it had changed. He said for the first time, he realized that he now had become part of the world's largest smuggling operation. That's how they feel. Wow. So we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, and I, I have a, a few final questions, but one of them being, you know, this is Catholic Vogue. Uh, typically, the, any objection to a secure border policy is it's unchristian. Yep. You're not welcoming the stranger. If say I had to talk to a relative or a friend that kind of still had that opinion, what would you say to effectively convince them that that in truth, this policy is not Christian. It's not welcoming. Yeah. I get that. I get this all the time. One is that they, they fundamentally have a misunderstanding of the cause and effect. 
uh, of illegal immigration. I would probably start off by saying that, okay, do you think the, the, the end justifies the means and one's actions that a Christian can defend their, their, the, the ends, um, by which what they use to justify their actions, meaning is it Christian to violate the law? Number one, I think most Christians will say no. Right. And the second thing that I would say is I would ask them, so do you, would you agree with me as a Christian, we should try to do everything we can to stop dangerous drugs from flowing across our border, killing Americans every single day. Most of them will say yes. I would say, well, let me ask you, do you also think that we should have the ability to stop every, every one, not some, but every single one, uh, person that comes across a border that's a, that's a criminal, that's a murderer, a rapist, a pedophile, an aggravated felon? They'll say, yes, Mark, of course. And then I go to the third question. Would you agree with me that we should stop every terrorist from crumbling across our border in the United States? And, and I say that, and by now, by the third question, they're starting to get a little frustrated. Like, Mark, where are you going with this, right? Of course. Of course, we should stop drugs, criminals, and national security threats from coming across our border. I mean, your Christian friends would agree with that, right? Yeah. Here's, where, so. here's where it all starts going off track. I said, well, would you agree with me? We should stop individuals from illegally entering the border, just looking for a better life. Well, right? That's where it all starts going off track, right? Well, Mark, like these poor, vulnerable migrants, they're just looking for a better life. As a Christian, we have a responsibility. Now, yes, if they're, if they're bad people, well, no, we should stop them. If they're terrorists, we should stop them. And of course, drugs. But, 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 but Mark, those, those poor, vulnerable migrants that, that are good people just looking for a better life, that's the Christian way, right? We should welcome them, right? Pretty much that's how it goes, right? Yeah. Well, well, here's the issue, what I say to them. Well, here's the problem with that. Those things are not mutually exclusive, right? It's not as if the cartels have two lanes along the Southwest border. One lane has a sign that says, all drugs, criminals, and national security threats use this lane. All migrants, good people looking for a better life, use this lane, right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. They're all interconnected. As I said, the, 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 the flow of illegal immigration is not separate from drugs, criminals, and national security threats pouring across. They're all interconnected. And the same group that the cartels push, there are good people, there are criminals, there are terrorists. At the same time, many of them are loaded up with drugs. Uh, they're forced to carry across to pay off their debt to be illegally entered. Illegal immigration pulls resources off the front line, leaves our border wide open so that cartels can push what we all agree are as bad drugs, criminals, and national security threats. So if I could tell my Christian friends, say, you are wrong on this. You are, you've allowed your compassion to be hijacked. Illegal immigration drives our borders to be unsecure so that drugs, criminals, and national security threats, of which we all agree should be stopped, allowed into the country. They're all connected. So to secure our border, to stop drugs, criminals, national security threats, we have to stop illegal immigration. So I'm 100% in, uh, on board. If we want to help nations, we can help nations and, and build up their infrastructure, improve their security, and improve their way of life. If people want to come to our country for a variety of reasons, then we should, as Christians, stop and demand that they, that they, they do so lawfully. 
The last time I checked, Christians are for legality and they're not for criminal activity. Someone that comes across a border, the end does not justify the mean. And here's the second, here's, the, here's, the, here's why I would end with this that a lot of people don't understand. Having open borders under this administration is actually the most unchristian, inhumane, deadly thing that can be done. And my Christian beings look at me and say, what do you mean, Mark? And I say, do you know that in the past 36 months, Customs and Border Protection has encountered over 2,000 dead migrants along our southwest border? That doesn't include the dead migrants that local law enforcement along our borders have found. That doesn't include the dead migrants that have died in Mexico on the journey or the dead migrants in the Daring Gap, one of the most inhospitable, dangerous journeys on the face of the planet. It could be in the thousands. Do you know that Border Patrol in the last 36 months have conducted over 72,000 rescues? Let that sink in. 72,000 rescues of illegal aliens that many of them would have suffered uh, a serious harm or death had Border Patrol not risked their own lives to save them. We know that Doctors Without Borders say that 30% of young women and children are raped or sexually assaulted in the journey up here. We know that countless young women and children are also thrust into life of sex and labor trafficking after they enter the United States. So to my Christian friends, tell me, what is Christian about that? This administration in the past 36 months has sent a message to the entire world, now is the time to come. We have bolstered, facilitated, and enriched the cartels for them to increase their operations that have allowed and led to more migrants dying than in any other administration, more migrants suffering, being assaulted or raped than any other administration, and more migrants being thrust in the life of trafficking than any other administration because we've enticed them to jeopardize everything to come to our borders. So I end with, so tell me, what is Christian about that? Wow. Mark, you've, you've thoroughly convinced me uh, that we need a serious change at the border. One, one could even say an extreme change in how we do things right now. I think one thing that people also get hesitant about is that if they vote for or express support for a extreme new approach to the border to fundamentally change the unchristian nature of what's going on, that they'll be called a bigot or xenophobic. The media is going to malign them. Uh, can you give people some encouragement for if they decide to vote for an extreme change, hopefully a positive change? Like, I think people sometimes get skittish when all of a sudden they start getting called names. Can you, can you give us a picture of what to expect if you do support this radical change? What's to come? What What are they going to call the candidate that, I mean, they've already kind of done it to Trump, but Trump's coming back. What are they prepared to call him just so you can kind of get that out of the way right now? Like, look, they're going to call him this, this, and that. It doesn't matter. You need to move forward. Yeah. First, I'd use Candace Owens line. Life's tough. It's tough. Buy a helmet. Right. So get tough, Christians. Right. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't I don't think God it, it intended us to be weak. Right. Um, and so now is the time is to stand up. And when somebody tries to call you racist, look, that's part of the Republicans fault uh, uh, show on Capitol Hill right now. They're the same way. They're terrified. They're terrified of being called a racist or anti-Christian. When it's the irony is it's just the opposite to have open borders. So I would say educate yourself. Become aware of the truth and reality. Listen to your podcast. And when somebody tries to call you racist, don't back down. Don't go to the corner. Don't turn your shoulder. Stand up, look them right in the eye and say, you're wrong. And I'm not going to take that. I'm actually, by standing up for border security, I'm actually being the Christian that we all should be. 
because right now, because of her open border, Americans are dying and suffering and migrants are dying and suffering. If you really care about the, the migrants, you apply to care so much about what we should be talking about is how we can more effectively support other countries, right? Support them more effectively to increase their ability to provide for their nation, to increase their security, to increase other countries' prosperities. And if you really care about the migrants, then you will continue to talk about a lawful, a lawful immigration process to help those that are truly the victims of state-sponsored persecution because they're involved in a protected class. Wow. Mark, I mean, this has been an incredible interview. I know people probably are feeling pretty fired up right now. I know we kind of have to, doesn't seem like policy change might be likely until another presidential administration, but is there anything that people can do right now that can either put pressure on the right type of people for action right now? Yeah, yeah. And, and one more quick thing too, as I want to talk about, we talk about like a, a significant shift or radical shift. What I would say, the only radical shift that's happened is from the Biden administration. You know, what, what we were doing in the Trump administration, for the most part, is we were just enforcing the law. We were enforcing the law, and we were upholding the Constitution, and we were going forth with, with America first priorities. And we were trying to stop death instruction from coming in, and we were trying to prevent migrants from suffering as well. I don't think that's radical. I, I, I think that's common sense policy that puts America first, while, while also acknowledging and supporting that other countries needs our help as well. I mean, that's the same thing right now, what's going on around the country. We're talking about giving Ukraine aid. We're talking about supporting giving uh, Israel aid. Where does our own country's aid come into play? That's what we did. I believe that the radical shift in policy came from the Biden administration. But here's what people can do right now. Get educated. I travel all over this country, and I can tell you there still remains a fundamental misunderstanding, especially among the Christian faith, right? They constantly use Christianity as a, a reason why they will not uh, uh, um, call for a change in policy about what's happened down because they fundamentally misunderstand. We just explained why they have a misunderstanding. So get educated. The second thing is be heard, right? Be heard, both in your state, but also your, your national level of representation. Get to, to your representatives. Uh, get to your national senators. Make them heard. Make them hear you. You do have a voice. I promise you, if, if each state is heard loud enough, it will make a difference. We have some Democrats now that are, are, are finally starting to speak up. Why? Because it's, it's gotten so bad, they can't pretend it anymore. They can't deny that it's not, a ca that it's not chaos and lawlessness at the border. So everybody, you can make a difference. Just get educated and be heard. Yeah. And Mark, if people want to keep following you, I mean, this has been quite the episode. I'm fired up right now. If people want to follow your work, help you out, how can they do so? Heritagefoundation.org. That, that's, uh, we go there and we, we have the, the, the Center for uh, uh, Border Security Immigration there. They can go there. And I, I tell you, it, it really is a good place to go to at least start your education process. Um, I, I think it's also important that, that whatever, you know, you're kind of listening to or looking at, don't, don't get funneled into one thing and you start subscribing to that confirmation bias, right? Step back, open up your aperture and get educated. Uh, and I promise you, uh, once you actually understand what's going on, you're going to know that what's happening on our borders actually and the antithesis of Christianity. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a fantastic interview and best of luck going forward. Yeah, you bet. You, you as well. Anytime.